Hello everyone, this is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 49. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode is entitled, Going Deep to Heal Relational Pain. My guest is Matthew Leavenworth, and I'm so happy that you're here listening with us today. Here now is my interview with Matthew Leavenworth regarding going deep to heal relational pain. Welcome back to the Connected Family Podcast. I'm very happy to have Matthew Leavenworth here with me today. We're going to be talking about a topic that is really, uh, I think each of us are really passionate about, and we sort of discovered um, an opportunity to talk about this based on some work that Matthew and I got to do together and hoping to apply that work to families and parenting and marriages. So thanks for being here, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really glad to have you. Maybe um, tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, whatever you'd want them to know about you. Absolutely. So my name is Matt Leavenworth. Uh, I'm a mental health counselor in Billings, Montana. And I've been in private practice for six or seven years since graduating from Adams State, which is uh, where Mark is an instructor at. And now I'm currently employed in the PhD program at Adams State. And we just went through a week that we're called intensive. So that, that's kind of the, the backdrop of um, how Mark and I came to, to know each other in, in yeah. uh, this capacity. And so this conversation is a continuation of some of the work that, that we did. Um, you know, kind of other things about me. So... I do, I do rock climbing and counseling. That's oh, cool. I don't know if that ever came up for us, but, uh, it's, it's, so I, I, I've worked a lot with like experiential modalities and, and getting people out into communities and, and using that as sort of a resource for healing, which has been a, a really cool adventure that yeah. I've been on. Uh, it's had some ups and downs and, and, uh, but that's, that's one of the things I do. Um, yeah, otherwise in this PhD program really interested in supervision and teaching and, and just have an absolute passion and, and a love for counseling. You know, I, I think born out of just watching people heal, you know, mm-hmm. just having the privilege to sit with people in, in what I kind of call sacred space and, and watching them grow and change and heal. And, and, you know, it, I mean, it's just powerful. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, then, and then the idea to, to kind of come back and share that, you know, teach others to, to help create that, that meaningful space where change happens is for me, that's, you know, you know, if you, if you can change one person, you know, that's amazing. But if you can teach somebody who's going to then go teach other people, you can absolutely change the world that way. Yeah. I was struck last summer. I think I've probably told you this by that idea that as a counselor, I have the opportunity to impact people's lives as a counselor educator. I get to multiply that to some degree because I'm helping other people have impact in people's lives and particularly in the current cultural context, it's uh, counselors are really well positioned to really impact a person Mm -hmm. based on the training that we have and the work that we get to do. So that's one of, you know, that's why I'm quite passionate about being a counselor as well. And uh, a counselor educator. I love that you, you do rock climbing and counseling. So I worked in residential my first job and that as I wanted to kind of integrate the two of those things, rock climbing, I'd never rock climbed before, but I was working in Southern Missouri near North Northwest Arkansas. 
Yeah. And there's some rock climbing in Northwest Arkansas. So I went actually for two days and got trained a little bit in how to do it. And I never was able to integrate it well, but it was so many parallels and things I imagine that can be used for that. Horseshoe Canyon, is that ringing bells? I've I've done quite a bit of climbing in Northwestern Arkansas. Oh, really? Yeah, I would be curious as to to where you might've gotten that. that Yeah, man, I don't even know if I would know anymore. It was a lot of, it was quite a while ago and I I didn't have good geographical knowledge at the time, but it was pretty cool. So, so tell everybody you basically coming out of our intensive experience together where we were co-teaching a class in group counseling, we ended up using a metaphor Mm -hmm. uh, with the group counseling class that we were teaching. And then after that intensive experience, you wrote a poem. So kind of tell that story of how that came up and, you know, your perspective on what motivated you for this. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so jump in w- with me here too, because it was sort of an evolving process. I mean, we were both co-leading this group and we started off and this was my first time, uh, you know, teaching in a group capacity for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was really following Mark's lead. And, and so we brainstormed a little bit um, before this, the start on Monday and, had, I think our idea was to, to then process, we did kind of a, a group demonstration to process two things. One was, uh, what do you want to get out of this experience? And intensives, is it's really intense. You spend eight hours a day for five days, both doing counseling and, and really receiving counseling mm-hmm. in, in both a group capacity and an individual capacity. So, I mean, you know, you, you're just, people are just, you know, in it <laughs> for days on end and it's super emotional and people are, you know, you're, you're like tired of crying by the time you're, yeah. you're, you get to Friday. Um, and so we asked people two things, what, what do you want to get out of this experience? And then what might get in your way or what, what about you might prevent you from getting there? And then Mark used this analogy that I'm assuming you've knew, used a number of times before, but it was your request for the class, I think. And it was, um, you had, you kind of use this visual of, of you're, you're looking at a lake, you're standing on a dock and maybe you've got a towel on your hands. Maybe you're, um, you know, maybe you're ready to jump in. Maybe you're fully clothed. Um, and, and what you asked them to do was then to, to run forward and cannonball into the water. Yeah. And yeah. And that became sort of a proxy for us. Right. I mean, I think it, yeah, it kept coming back across the week where our students would refer, they would say, well, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in or, Oh, I've taken the, I've taken the run and I'm in midair or I am, you know, splashing in or whatever. And so it came a, became a metaphor that we used throughout the week to determine where are we in our process together. And it, it was an alive metaphor too, because it was gauged so accurately with where they were at as far as risk taking. Like, mm-hmm. in jumping off that dock, it's a scary thing because usually you're jumping into your baggage, into your into that closet full of all those skeletons that you buried into, you know, the painful elements of your relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that's what's underwater, you know. Yeah. So and, maybe we could we could uh, sort of clarify there. You jumped into, or you just began to speak in the metaphor about what the dock represents, right? Mm-hmm. Should we read the poem first and then kind yeah. of jump into those things, or should we explain what we meant by that? Yeah, m- maybe. All right, maybe I'll say one more thing and then read sure. the poem. In that, you know, what lies at the end of the dock is probably something like emotional vulnerability. Does that does that seem? Yeah. Correct. And, and then just to give kind of a context around how this was used in, in a group dynamic. And, and so, 
Um, because it, it's the poem itself is linked pretty specifically to, you know, what we did, but it's also an attempt to, to generalize an emotional experience that I think is pretty prevalent in the field of counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so we were asking when I was saying, you know, run towards the end of the dock and cannonball into this experience, we were saying cannonball into dive into emotional vulnerability mm-hmm. with your full self, just yeah. take a big old cannonball into it. And yeah, so that's what we were asking of our students at that time. And I would just, you know, anybody who's going to listen to this, just maybe take a second and ask yourself how, how difficult that actually is. Yeah. Like you're in a room full of strangers, full of people that you've never met before. You're being, you know, evaluated in our context, which is not always the case necessarily in most, um, you know, most ca- counseling, I think, type mm-hmm. context. But in this case, you know, that's a, that's a hard ask. Yeah. And so it takes so much courage, I think, for people to, to be able mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. So we're asking them to do it in a counseling context. And I would argue even in a family context or in a marriage context, it takes quite a bit of risk and it's a big ask to jump into that depth in those contexts too, because there's risk, there is risk associated with that as well. Un- unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead, I, think, maybe, I think we should unpack that a little bit too. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's, I think they're you, cause you asked me at the beginning of, of this podcast, just kind of that this is a marriage and family podcast. And I was mm-hmm. kind of thinking of the parallels and it's kind of jumped into my mind that there are almost an infinite number of them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Will you read it for us? What you wrote? Yeah, absolutely. So this is called the dock. I feel the sand under my toes. The sky's blue. The sun is opaque. A slight breeze blows across the water, windswept with clouds. Docks a hundred yards in front of me, a peninsula out into the great expanse of water. Of a towel in my hands, my skin goose pimples, and I shiver as the breeze picks up with a chill. I think about turning back. The water is too cold. The wind will chill me to the bone. There are sharks out there. Instead, I throw the towel aside and start forward. My steps are heavy at first. The wet sand swallows my feet. I can still turn back. I don't. I start jogging forward. My quickening steps find the wooden planks faster and faster. There is no railing, only the sparkling cold and deep that will swallow me. The end of the dock looms. The thought occurs. I can turn back. I can stop unless I take another step. I leap forward. Into the open, unknown, the water swallows me. It is all the pain and the triumph and everything I am. I'm deep underwater, deeper and deeper until I see other shapes like mine, staring back at me, swimming also. Very cool. I was, you sent that to me after our experience and that last uh, f- paragraph or stanza especially really got to me as I read it and thinking about our experience and families and the counseling, the work that we both do and just, yeah, how powerful it is to jump off the dock in that way. What are some, what are the themes that you really touched on or really stuck out to you as you're, that you wanted to hit on as you wrote that? Yeah. Well, and maybe we can kind of go backwards because I, I wanted to hop off of what you just said there. It was based off of our experience and it was based off a particular experience of mine where the group sort of cycled through and the group leaders changed in this context, which is 
is it was really unique. Um, but the, the group itself, and, and we were sort of spectators, Mark and I, we, we ran a group and then we were sort of spectators and evaluators. And um, the group process was getting really deep and they came, they hit upon a theme, the theme of abandonment. Mm-hmm. And, and you had asked them, Mark, you had asked them, even though the group leadership was switching to just stay with that, because it was, you could tell it was maybe on the edge of the dock, right? Mm-hmm. And so Mark and I turned our cameras off and I just sat and watched this as a number of students joined in describing the, their experience, which was multifaceted. It was unique. It was multidimensional. Um, and, and I just like almost started weeping at that moment. Mm-hmm. In time. And it was, tr- it triggered a really specific emotion in me. So I have a two year old daughter and I, you have kids too, Mark. And mm-hmm. one of the themes in my life is this, this fear that she's going to outgrow me. Hmm. And, and like I carry it around all the time and I just try and soak up every moment I spend with her. I just, I mean, I, like she's just everything to me and, and she is going to outgrow me. And, hmm. and that's actually really, really important that she does that on the road. Um, <laughs> there's, there's this book called the stick kid. It's uh, so the stick in the stick kid, it's this children's book that I, I, I read and just started weeping like in the middle of reading. So it's uh, this, a kid draws this little stick kid on the piece of paper, right? And mm-hmm. he's got to entertain the stick kid and keep the stick kid happy. And so he starts drawing like bigger and more um, entertaining things. Like, so he draws the stick kid mountains in a play set and he draws the stick kid, a stick kid friend. Mm-hmm. And it gets to this point in the book where this, the stick kid says, I don't need the things that you can draw any longer. Hmm. And, and, and then the stick kid then goes on and has a stick kid family and, and then comes back. And there's this, you know, at the end of that road, this like meshing of like, I don't know, like our trajectory, our family trajectory, like, but like, yeah, Huxley, my daughter is, she's, she's going to tell me someday that um, the things that I draw aren't enough for her any longer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I just like in this group context of abandonment, I started I mean, it really got emotional and it was, uh, for me, it was like, I was really glad I wasn't leading the group. It wouldn't be really hard for me to continue leading the group as these students really bared their souls, you know, in some mm-hmm. profound ways. And it didn't occur to me until later that, that all of their stories were very different than mine. Hmm. Like, they weren't talking about the same things that I was talking about. And, but I was, I was so with them in that moment, like there, yeah. and so we had talked about our experience of universality mm-hmm. that, that there is this, and I think it exists underwater and it's that moment in time when you see those other shapes down there. And, and even though they jump, jumped off a different dock and they jumped off from like, they're down there with you. And, and there's this, this, like this connection. That, yeah. Man, beautiful. Yes. And that's the part that really struck me as you're talking about it, that when you jump off the dock and you go deeper and deeper into vulnerability and depth, what you discover is that there are other people there who are there with you looking back at you. And I was struck by, in regards to staring back at me, they see me mm-hmm. when I'm vulnerable in those depths and people are looking back at me, they truly see me and what, how powerful it is to be seen in that way. Is that part of it in what no, you were thinking? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I love that interpretation. I, I think I, I ended the, I tried to end the poem before i think i think you could almost write another poem of what happens when you're underwater together oh yeah but i think that i I love what you're saying because i think that would be the next poem that 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 idea of really being seen Mm -hmm. i think we're just all so desperate for it yes 
especially in this, I mean, we just live in a crazy world. Yeah. And I think so so many people are so lonely. Yeah. And, you know, so thinking about in regards to family, marriage, kids, we might assume, yeah, I see my kids or I see my partner or whatever. And how really, even in family, sometimes there's great risk in going into the depths with our family members. And, but when we do and are seen by our partner or our kids are seen by their parents or man, it's just wonderful and feels great. And so important for us. We desperately need it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. What other themes or go ahead. Did you have more there? Well, you made me just to jump off the back of that. And I, I think there are like behavioral patterns and, and, and cycles that people go through that prevent them from both expressing that, that kind of vulnerability and then taking the kind of risk necessary to, to, to be in a healthy relationship with others. And the, the problem is that the last time you jumped off the dock, you, you, you might've gotten just savagely hurt. Mm. And, and so you spend a lifetime programming yourself to not be vulnerable, to not, not expose yourself to not to, to stay safe, to stay on the shoreline. And hmm. I mean, I think counseling is one of the most, it's, it's one of the most important things that we have right now, because I think it, it breaks that down. Yeah. But, you know, there's also that real risk. You jump off the dock and, and like there actually just might be sharks down there. Hmm. Rather than people who are swimming with you, staring back at you, it's sharks who we might characterize as people who are out to hurt you. And take advantage of that vulnerability. Yeah. So is, so I imagine that's some of the themes from the earlier sections of the poem is highlighting the risks and the impact that some of those earlier hurts can have when it comes to thinking about taking that risk. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, and I, I hope that, I mean, cause there's almost like a, or an intended element of gravity about that poem. Like you're just swept forward whether you want to or not so i mean my hope would be like the reader would hit the second stanza or the third stanza and be like oh i like get that sort of visceral feeling i don't really want to do this Hmm. and and then the poem moves forward and and it was also one of the those group experience moments that that really struck me is that as soon as somebody was vulnerable it, it like opened the door and gave permission for everybody else to be yeah and even maybe is so the poem is talking about um First, the steps are kind of slow and they're even feeling held back by the sand a little bit. And there's hesitation. It's hard. There's fear. But then, yeah, as that momentum gets going, which might be that person in our group context who took the first step, just one small step in the right dire- in that direction allowed other people to take their own small steps in that direction. It wasn't even off the dock yet, maybe, but it was moving in that direction and the group gained momentum in that way, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've already just in, in this conversation like thought of two more poems that I probably have to write. Because I mean, seriously, though, like you actually think about what that looks like in a group dynamic. And it's actually like 10 people standing in the sand looking at the dock, right? And then actually what happens and what did take place was one person took a step forward. And then may, maybe somebody else was like, oh, okay, I can, I can take a step forward too. And then, and then eventually one person just maybe shot off and plunged into the water and everybody else was like, Whoa, God, yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. 
And then, and then, you know, and then that person who jumped left out into the water was like exposed and out there. And like, we just, I mean, compassion is pretty innate. I think it, especially when you see somebody exposed and vulnerable, like we, we go to each other, we reach for each other. Hmm. And so then joining that person who took the first, like, jump off the dock is a compassionate thing to go there with them because otherwise we leave them out there on their own and how difficult that is to feel left out there on your own if family or friends don't follow you out there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely boy and i mean you know also i mean i think there's some heartbreak in that too i mean you think about how many people who yeah, have been left out there yeah yeah. Which as you were talking about before the hurts that can make it hard to be vulnerable. I mean, that might be one of them that sometimes people experience, you know? <laughs> so do you mind if I, if I ask you what your, uh, your sort of paradigm for you know, maybe family and marriage is? What, yes. What do you come from? So I definitely come from like an attachment based yeah. world. So when I think of marriages, I think of um, Susan Johnson, who does something called emotion-focused couples therapy. Great stuff. And she is all about discovering what's happening inside of me and how that interplays with what's happening inside of my partner. And she uses the phrase, she uses a term and talks about dance steps. And I was actually thinking about that as you were describing the 10 people on the beach and one taking a step forward and then another one really dancing together. Our group danced together and couples and families danced together in trying to find, you know, the, the way to move, the way to interact with each other that feels safe, that feels vulnerable, um, natural. And, and I was, and I kind of asked you just to get the temperature on our group in comparison to other groups you've led in the past. I mean, to me, it was just, it was pretty profound, but, and you said that, that you've kind of seen that a lot, which, oh, yeah. um, which is, is, it's really interesting to me because I, I do think that I've, I've witnessed or been aware of groups where that just doesn't happen, where everybody's on the, the beach together and they just start throwing blows and, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then nobody's going anywhere close to the dock mm. and, and it doesn't, it doesn't ever go in the direction that I think he, is that place where healing actually yeah. happens. What do you think are the qualities of a group or family that allow that group or family or who, you know, whatever relationship to move to a place of depth and jumping off the dock vulnerability, any of that come to mind? You know, I mean, I, I also certainly come at this stuff from an attachment perspective. And, and so I always think of the tension between unconditional and conditional love. Mm. And, and so maybe in a, in a family dynamic, especially as parents, like we have to navigate that tension as well. Like our kids can't just do anything that they want to. We have to tell them, no, it's really important to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same, same time, we also, they also have to know that, that they're loved. And they're loved in spite of maybe some of the the decisions that that they might make or will make or must certainly will make mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that are going to make guys like you and me pull out our hair. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, maybe in a group context, there has to be some sort of an allowance for for difference, an allowance for a push and pull, uh, mm-hmm. like a 
that, that we can disagree, but we can still be together. And, and maybe that's true too of, of a marriage, I think, where, mm-hmm. where there has to be that allowance that, that we can somehow disagree with each other with some element of safety or the knowledge that you're not going to walk out the door on me every time I, I tell you something you don't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it in like a marriage context as the word that's coming to my mind is acceptance, that I'm going to accept my partner no matter what. And then also this idea that it's interdependence, which is in attachment language, which is I can be dependent on my partner and independent from my partner at the same time. I can, I can rely on them. I can be totally accepted by them and me totally accept them, but also I can have my own interests, have my own opinion, have my different values than my partner. And it's okay. And we can make it work together interdependence. And I think that's at least in my experience in working with couples, that is super hard um, because man, we disagree often, you know, and the things we disagree on most vehemently um, really come up a lot in marriages and, and such. And so we, I think, you know, as a, as our partners, we have to just work hard at accepting those things as, uh, as from our partner. Um, it's tough. I use this sort of Venn diagram analogy for that, that unhealthy relationships. So I draw two circles, um, and two circles when they're totally overlapping is codependence. Mm. Um, and then it's more like a Venn diagram where there's significant overlap and you actually can negotiate how much overlap there should or needs to be with your partner. Some, some partners stay together with, you know, there, there, there is more of a friendship and they don't, you know, there's not a ton of overlap. They have completely separate interests and, and, mm. but, but there, there's still, there still is overlap and there has mm-hmm. to be, or, or you have the, the third one, which is independence, which is two totally separate, you know, like they're, they're just no, there's no connection there. You're just roommates at this point in time, hmm. you know, at best. And, and, um, but I, I think that's kind of what you're describing and, and, but they're like, I mean, I, Mark, I, I really fundamentally believe that, that marriage and family is, it's the best stuff on earth. <laughs> and, and I, I think it's, the thing that heals us, the thing that saves us, the thing that moves the world forward in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And, and so whatever that overlap is in, in your life, you, you better work for it Yeah, and you better tend to it and you better maintain it and you better put in because the, the alternatives, you know, are, are bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in practice, I mean, you see the, the end product of divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's a trauma. It's a trauma for the kids. It's a trauma for the parents. It's a, a and it, and it it is not an easy thing to heal from. Absolutely. My wife and I say sometimes we think about uh, people we've known who've experienced divorce or, and the difficulty of that. And we wonder, we go, man, I don't think divorce is always easier. You know, it's hard and it would have to be really bad. Uh, I imagine, you know, in your most desperate moments is probably when you move in that direction because it's so would be so hard both ways, whether it's divorce or staying together, you know? And I, so I think that's the pain that you're talking about of, gosh, where do we, where do I go here? Cause it's so hard. Um, 
Oh, so I'm thinking about the, the kind of the doc there and, and what maybe is the, the core ingredient that, that maybe helps maintain that, that interdependence. And, you know, so I'm thinking about like maybe just a, a fight that a person might have with their, their spouse. Um, you know, maybe that, that person went and hung out with their friends, maybe like on, on like an anniversary or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, something that like really communicated a lot of, um, you know, negligence, like you don't take me, so you don't care for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so what is, what is the healthy conversation that can repair that? Cause that's a fracture. It's a damage, you know, that's been done to the relationship. I've been, I've been hurt by you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that because we have all of our defense mechanisms, anger, sarcasm, passive aggressiveness, you know, all of these things that we do to let people know we're unhappy with them while keeping our armor on. And, and so with the healthy con, the healing conversation, right. Is the one where you sit down with that next person and you're like, Hey, is this an okay time for, for us to talk? And they might say no, because maybe they just got reamed by their boss or, you know, I'm like, that actually isn't a good space to talk about something delicate. And so then you come back to the table and you say, hey, you know, I was really hurt by what you did the other day. Hmm. I, I mean, that's the end of the dock all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to approach you and, and just tell you that, like, I'm hurt. Hmm. And and then take a risk of like, maybe that person is just going to use that to belittle me and to, to tell me I'm actually not that important anyway. And and then you got some real problems there, right? If, if you, right. One and you're, which we do that to each other all the time. One person reaches out a hand and the other person chops it off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I think that that intersectionality or that interdependence, it's, it's when you reach out in that vulnerable way and then they reach back to you. Yes. And then together you're, uh, swimming in the water together because you're both having been vulnerable. The one partner reaching out saying I'm hurt and the other partner, reaching back and saying, yeah, I messed up. I'm mm-hmm. sorry about that. Cause it's pretty vulnerable to say that you messed up too mm-hmm. in many ways. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to work harder and I'm sorry. I, I missed that. I, that wasn't my intention to communicate that you're not important. I, I was distracted. I had a long day, I'm, but I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then you, you can, you can almost like sense that, that healing there mm-hmm. you know, you can, in that conversation, instead of just holding on to bitterness and resentment and going about your day and, you know, throwing the pots around while you're cooking dinner and, you know, waiting for that person to notice you're, you're upset with them. Yes. But now all of a sudden we've, we've healed that fracture and, and yeah. we can go forward together. And it's extending off of something you said earlier in regards to the healing comes in the vulnerability. And so the healing in that scenario you just described comes when both of those partners are vulnerable with one another. The injured partner moves towards and says, I'm hurt, which is vulnerable. And the hurting partner also is vulnerable in admitting mistake and admitting that they've, you know, messed up. And the healing is, comes in the fact that they've both been, been vulnerable and they're coming together and connecting in that and being able to accept and forgive and feel the other person in that vulnerability, you know? And I think what you were describing with the pots and pans and being angry, that, that's like the calloused sort of, I'm going to protect myself, but it doesn't quite allow for healing, I, I believe. Well, and on the other end too, the the person who you know made the mistake, or or and oftentimes the things we disagree on in marriage are not black and white. It's not like one person just made a mistake and the other person is a. I mean, and that's probably true of the world in general. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes mm-hmm. things aren't that black and white. But so 
you know, he went and hung out with his friends and, you know, or she, and maybe he spent all week, like, I don't know, like giving that person gifts and like, and then he's like, you didn't see all of the things that I have been like, I cleaned the house for you. I did this, I did that. Mm. And, and so there can be that temptation to just dismiss that hurt mm. and, and, you know, go and put yourself in some armor too. Like now, mm. like, yeah, like I'm not taking that criticism of me. Like that's not fair. Mm. And, and, and that's a good way to stay on, you know, on the beach, right. To, and not meet that person where, where that healing actually takes place. Yeah. So like, just strip that off and say, man, I, you know, when I'm thinking about that, I, I don't want to hurt you. I'm sorry that the things I did somehow resulted in that. Like, let's, let's maybe put that under a microscope and figure out how to not have this, this hurt keep happening. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be both people's fault. It could be, you know, a, you know, accommodations on, on both ends of that equation. Mm-hmm. How do we communicate more clearly so that that pain doesn't continue to, to happen? Yes. Yeah, I like how you said that. Let's strip, let's strip that off. And then I was brought back to your poem where you said, I have a towel in my hands. And almost thinking about the towel is sort of like something you might have over your shoulders as armor. And then when you drop the towel off, you know, you're sort of taking off that armor, which allows for another step of vulnerability and moving towards mm-hmm. our partner in that way. Hmm. Well, as you said to start, I think we could probably talk for hours or maybe, you know, over and over and just many, many different themes that we could pull out of this, but I really love what we've pulled out so far. Mm -hmm. And so think I want to wrap up by just asking you, what would be the, if somebody heard this discussion of ours and they walked away with a main point, what would be the main point you would hope for them to walk away with? that there is this place of connectivity, that there is this place where, where hearts reach out to each other, that there's a place of compassion where, where we connect in ways that transcend, I think all of the reasons we're coming up with these days to, to divide ourselves and separate ourselves. And and if we can reach for that, if we can work for it, if we can protect it, maybe we've all got a chance. In a world in general and in individual relationships, just as a, individuals but as our collective whole as well. we gotta reach we gotta reach for each other and, and it, it's gonna involve risk and yeah. it's gonna involve some some mistakes and some not you know it's just gonna it's gonna be really human mm-hmm. we've got to reach for each other yeah awesome well thank you so much for taking this experience that we had together and then writing this poem and kind of articulating um that metaphor to a deeper level and, and in your words and, and, and then allowing us to, you know, come in here and talking about it and allowing us to process it some more. I just really enjoy it. And I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to experience that week with you and also to have this conversation. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. It was a, it was a pleasure uh, to, to have had that opportunity to be able to, to work with you and to learn, learn from you. Cool. If people want to like, get a hold of you is would you would you be open to like is there a website or any anything that they can go to to learn more about you no <laughs> can they find your practice online profile i check once a week or so um i would i'll just put out my email address you know if anybody's and I'm, i mean that if anybody's interested in having the conversation that leads to healing i'm i'm down for that 
Okay. So it's, it's 11 words, L-E-A-V-E-N-W-O-R-T-H-M-A-T-T at gmail.com. So I'm actually putting to, uh, putting together a book of poems and paintings. Uh, I work with my mom. We've done a, one of these books. So if we did fly fishing poems and fly fishing paintings um, wow. together. So I've collaborated with her. Uh, she's a, just a brilliant artist. But I mean, p- part of it is an attempt to, to capture the phenomenology of healing. like Because it's experiential. It's like you can't put it in a test tube, you know? Yeah. Like, you, you just feel it. And and so maybe, you know, maybe a poem and a painting might get a little closer to the rawness of, the, of that experience. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, I mean, I, we were all on the Zoom in like in 10 different states. All, and it was like you could feel electricity. Yes. Keeping things together. And it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible experience. Yes, for sure. Well, I look forward to when that book comes out with the art yeah. and the poems. I'm excited yeah, to sure. see that. Yeah, definitely. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a fun project, maybe a year down the road and cool. Um, yeah. And maybe it's, I was kind of thinking about maybe doing it with like, uh, like, like this, so a poem painting and then maybe like a book for counselors where there are then some talking points and some, like, yes. you know, what, what is the doc? What does it mean to be underwater? And then, um, then there are some other poems too that I think you can break down and it's mm-hmm. sort of an engaging way to help clients and, and, you know, help clients kind of break down that experience of healing, that process of healing. Yeah. So can I just, uh, so I got this idea originally from a poem by Portia Nelson called autobiography in five short, four chat in five short chapters. I, I, I mean, I just encourage anybody to read that thing. Okay. It, it is, it's that the process of healing it's a process yeah. of walking down a different, different road than the one you're on right now. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for this time. Yeah. Thanks Mark. Have a great one for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about going deep to heal relational pain, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling or our website at ConnectionsQuincy.com.